Section 35 of G.K. Chesterton's Newspaper Columns, The New Witness, 1922. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicola Jablo. G.K. Chesterton's Newspaper Columns, The New Witness, 1922, by G.K. Chesterton. Section 35. At the sign of the world's end, three points and the paper. The new witness exists for the sake of three principles, which are, as it were, in a descending order of importance, or at least of importance for those who support the paper. First, we value it simply as a paper, and in a sense simply as a newspaper. We might almost say we value it as a paper merely in the sense of a scrap of paper, a blank piece of paper on which certain words can be printed that cannot be printed anywhere else. The things so printed are quite literally news, in the sense that they are new to most people who read them. It is necessary to insist first on this quite simple notion of a new sort of news sheet it need not be this sort of sheet, or even any sort of sheet. If the same few words could be put before the public in any way, we should be quite content. It might be done with the most prehistoric tools, or with the most modern and scientific instruments. The words might be chalked up on a wall, or carried through the country by a man riding on a horse. The words might be cast in colossal letters on the screen of a cinema, or broadcasted across the world in waves of wireless telegraphy. But as we are not wealthy enough to own any walls or any horses to be used on this scale, it goes without saying that we are not wealthy enough to own the costly scientific engines, which are the gigantic toys of the modern millionaire. One of the most interesting problems of the hour, by the way, will be involved in watching to see how the very newest inventions like aviation and wireless and the film, will in the present moral state of the world coagulate into the same lumps of capitalism and cold corruption as have steam and electricity and petrol. The cinema may or may not, as some say, rival the press in popularity, but it will certainly resemble the press in its type of popularity, and the essence of that type of popularity is that it is not really popular— it is not popular in origin, even if it is sometimes popular in effect. The populace never makes a cinema or a newspaper, as it could once make a guild or a revolutionary tribunal. And in aviation, though the small aeroplane may have defeated the big zeppelin, I fear we are still far from the victory of the small owner over the big owner of such flying machines. We might some day see something like one man, one motor— but as yet hardly one man, one monoplane. For most people, for that matter, owning three clouds and a flying ship would still seem no wilder than owning three acres and a cow. And for the third example of wireless, it is enough that the very word Marconi has sunk to be a password for the worst secrets of the few. It seems a pity that we have discovered how to talk to the whole world at the moment when we only talk in whispers and have nothing to tell but lies. But this is a parenthesis, or merely a part of the primary statement that our first aim is simply to print certain words, since we cannot film them or broadcast them, 
or write them on a sky sign or shout them through a megaphone. Even if we could afford to do any of these things, we should probably be put in prison on some pretext for doing them. There is always the chance of our being put in prison on some pretext as it is, but it is still possible to print on this blank page what cannot be printed anywhere else in the press, and that is the first thing to realize about the situation. The words in question may be few. It may only be a matter of a single sentence. Sometimes it is only a matter of a single name. Suppose that somebody wishes to print a sentence like this. The Prime Minister was charged with seeking a separate peace that betrayed the Allies, and he has not denied it. Or, the plot to poison him was a faked advertisement stirred up by a government agent whom the government dared not produce at the trial. Or merely, Herbert Samuel and Rufus Isaacs both told the House a falsehood about the Marconi shares. It is a fact that he could not get those words printed on any piece of paper except this piece of paper. If I wrote them in an article for any other paper, they would be cut out. I have written such things, and they have been cut out. It is for the sake of such sentences that this paper exists. It is necessary to put this fact first, because there are necessarily other things in the paper which are not essential to it and should not be essential to the verdict upon it. We produce this paper under conditions in which it would be counted impossible to produce any paper. It is financed without a financier. It is edited without an editor. It is not only true that the editor is an inefficient editor. It is also true that he has to be an inefficient editor in order to be an intermittent financier. He could not find support for the paper in other ways if he concentrated on it in the official way. Its control is often put into commission among people who have in the same way to support themselves and it by some other work. This is an impossible arrangement, and for some seven years we have been doing an impossible thing. I think it is far better to state these facts frankly in the paper itself. I am aware that it is against all the principles of modern advertisement. It would be easy enough to cover our difficulties by the usual methods of publicity and mass suggestion and mesmerism and general humbug. It would be quite possible in the bottomly fashion to announce every week another magnificent article, to claim a fabulous popularity, to boast of our business methods, to hint at our huge resources. But if there were no other objections, founded on an old-fashioned taste in such things, it would be grossly inconsistent with the particular purpose that we claim. We profess to speak sincerely about modern public weaknesses, and we should be indeed ashamed if we did not speak so of our own weaknesses. We know that capitalism is not efficient, that Parliament is not representative, that the press is not free. We are not going to enjoy a realism about these things and at the same time pretend that the new witness is a model machine and a magnificent monetary speculation. We would preserve a scrap of paper on which certain words can be written. We will not write on it a denial that the scrap itself is somewhat scrappy. Next, after the unique aim of merely announcing certain facts, facts which cannot be denied but only suppressed, comes something which is equally unique but far less undeniable. It is a conviction about the ethics and economics of the present problem. It is a particular social solution. It is very simple, and all our readers know what it is. 
It may be summed up by saying that, as most of us agree that the accumulation of capital by the few has been a bad thing, it would seem to follow that the redistribution of capital among the many would be a good thing. It is so simple as to make it seem a startling thing to say that nobody is fighting for it except ourselves. But though it is startling, it is strictly true, touching the general journalistic output of our time. If the new witness disappears, there will be no paper maintaining this normal and almost commonplace counsel in morals. There are a large number of papers defending capitalism. There are a few papers defending socialism. There are even fewer defending certain modifications of socialism, which make it rather more historic and human by a machinery of guilds. But there is not a single paper which attacks socialism in defense of small property as distinct from large property, except this one. It would be easy to take a working model of what I mean. There are many newspapers and newspaper correspondents that would object to the compulsory holidays or short hours in shops in an old spirit of vulgar gentility. They would snort in their snobbish way at the uppishness of the shop girl and her cool demand for holidays and holiday clothes. It is the happy habit of this type to jeer at the shop girl if her taste is bad and sneer at her if her taste is good, to be scornful if she dresses like a lady and more scornful if she does not. There is also a proportion of the press that would take the other view of holidays and holiday finery. There is a singular sort of sentimental optimist writing at large just now who is made hopeful by the sort of holiday that is obviously a Saturnalia of slaves. The shallowest varnish of vanity and vulgarity is enough for him. He is confident of achieving a brighter London, a utopia of liberty and hilarity, so long as the flappers cut their hair as short as the roundheads, or the female face is decorously concealed like something indecent behind a mask of chalk or grease paint. The first social criticism corresponds to the contempt and ruthlessness of the capitalist state and the second to the drift and indignity of the servile state. But while some would grumble because the shopkeeper has to give his shop girls a holiday, and some would merely chuckle at the use the shop girls make of their holiday, nobody in all the press would say a word for the shopman who does not keep any shop girls, but only keeps a shop. Some would work their slaves oppressively, and others would indulge them intermittently. But there is no mercy for the man who does not want to have any slaves to indulge or to oppress. The worst fate in our society is to be a free man who does not wish to enslave others. Therefore, neither the law nor the newspaper criticism takes any account of any such shop as probably shines like a fairy castle in the first memories of our childhood. A toy shop or sweet stuff shop with a dash of lemonade and cheap tobacco a shop kept by a poor woman who sells her own wares and talks freely with her own tongue. Nobody points out the shameless cruelty of the law destroying her livelihood in order that she may give a holiday to the servants she hasn't got. Nobody points out that her shop and a multitude like it might flourish if she were not forced by a pointless police regulation to throw herself out of employment on the assumption that she is somebody else or to give herself a compulsory holiday which she cannot afford to give and does not want to receive. 
Neither of the two parties, the brutal slave owners or the benevolent slave owners, will say a word for her, though all of them have known and respected such honest people from childhood. For they know well that even if that one little concession of justice were made in the law, the distributive state would have begun. Then again, just as even the distributive state is less vital and universal for us than the war on corruption and the telling of the truth in politics, so the particular views we hold about those politics are often in their turn less vital and universal than the distributive state. The third purpose of the new witness is to enunciate certain opinions about foreign and domestic policy. We support nationalism against cosmopolitanism. We support Poland against Bolshevism. We apply the same principle to certain views of France and of Ireland. We may sum up many of them, in contrast to a considerable undercurrent in the whole press today, by saying that we at least do not feel the faintest regret for the cause of the Great War. Conductors of this paper have a right to speak so of the war, considering what they lost in it. I have thought it well this week to put this summary of our old situation before our readers because I think the time has come to consider finally whether the paper can continue in its present makeshift and anomalous manner, whether it is necessary to end it or possible to start it afresh. About this, I may have some statements to make in the next number. End of section 35. Recording by Nicola Jablow.